Happy Wednesday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. Um, Frank the Tank is back to work today, but he's so far behind he did not hop on here. Um, we have the great Donnie Vincent in our presence. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, dude. Thank you for having me and uh, particularly making it work this early in the morning. Well, I don't sleep, so we're good. That, that worked out actually great for me. But uh, Donnie had his uh, film premiere in Fort Collins, which um, as a miracle – it's the first probably and only one I will ever go to, but I did make it. So you must know you're semi-important for me because I came. And how many people told you I wouldn't come? Uh, everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. So. And, and I said, I said, he will come. I didn't say he will come. I said, I think he's going to be there. And they said, no, 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 he's not going to be there. And I said, yeah, actually, I think he, actually, I think he changed his schedule. I did to come in. Yeah, yeah. yeah I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. And and I brought brought my wife. And uh, no, it was cool. I'm glad we went. I didn't like the traffic getting there, but uh, it ended up being a cool event. There was quite a few people there, and the film was great. Um, it it um, looking at it from a perspective of um, it looked like a pain in the ass is what it looked like. Um, how, it's a lot how of work. <laughs> yeah, a tremendous amount of work. Well, I, some people watch those films and don't realize if someone's filming you rolling up in the boat, you had to put someone in that other boat to film you coming up in the boat. And in a rainstorm, that sucks, right? Yes. Like, I mean, it's yeah. a problem. So. Yeah. And you do it. I mean, it's not that we're faking things. We do a lot of things that are basically one take or we're filming things as they happen. But if 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 we happen to see something that um, really fits the storytelling or we happen to see something that, um, for instance, if, if we're rowing up in a boat in a rainstorm, it's, it's for real. We're never going to do something that we're not doing. But if we do that and then, you know, the guys are like, yeah, this looks really good. Let's do it one more time. Well, sometimes you end up rowing up two, three, four times. And when you're sheep hunting, um, that can get painful when you have to climb a slope two, three times. No, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's, 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 you know, we are documentary style filmmakers. So we film things as they happen. But as we, we are, we are doing a job, we are capturing content. So it takes time and, and, and takes more than one take sometimes. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I explain that to people with um, photography. Now, like, I'm not really big, same like you said, if we already did it, I don't mind telling the guy to go do it again because I want a better photo. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if I have to go tell a guy to totally like, hey, go climb down in that creek, take a knee, I don't really do that. But no. if you've climbed down in the creek, you took a knee to fill your water bottle up and I can't get my camera out fast enough, I'm probably going to be like, hey, uh, you want to do that again? That was a pretty cool shot. And and otherwise, it it's hard to stop – of course, for me, photography, you know, stopping time is what I call it so everybody can kind of be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it takes a retake. It's a pain in the butt, and I would not want to try to do it in film. Um, yeah, you, you that, did a you good s- job of it. I appreciate that, but you said it perfectly. That is exactly so. You know, I'll I'll walk down to a creek, kneel down to get some water, and you know, William will be up on the. You know, he'll see something, and you know, that's his talent, and so he'll see something. Say, hey, let me climb ten feet higher. You back up eight feet. We'll do that again. That's literally how it goes. No, for for sure, and I mean. You know, the artistic, uh, you know, everybody has their own, you know, talents or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I consider photography to be one that I one, – one I love and enjoy and, and, and one I feel I'm, see, you know, somewhat good at. Of course. Where you have – or I think what you're known for obviously is, is telling that story and not just a, you know, quote-unquote hunting story but also the um, kind of the 
I say primal, but the, the primal version of it, like not just walked out in the woods, shot an animal. Yeah. Not, not that there's any people do that and that's fine. But mm-hmm. when you watch your, um, you know, your videos, it's a lot more than that. It's more for me watching kind of a National Geographic video where something dies in the end. Um, yes. Is what, what I, the way I look at it. And I, is that the way you feel that that's a somewhat decent explanation? It is. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, we all have our pieces to to put this together, but when when I'm writing them, you know, it's a it's a suffer. I'm not. I don't. I don't write these pieces to uh, sell films. I don't write these pieces so that people clap in the theater at the end. I, I write these things because these are the things that I think about when I'm hunting in these places. These are the things that I'm experiencing, and these are the ideas. The maybe a question that I have or something happened and. And what I'm kind of going through when I'm doing it, and and yeah, we basically build the piece so that it's true to us. Because if we're if we're lying, or we're it, it doesn't benefit me at all to lie to you. It doesn't benefit me at all to sensationalize anything to you. And a lot of people that do film, or a lot of people that try to film hunts, they they think they have to make it badass. They mm-hmm. think they have to make it appear as though they never fail. They never wound. They never miss. They have to they they have to come across as they're super fit or they pack their bag perfectly or they are experts in all classes of archery and rifle hunting and and wilderness um, uh, survival and and uh, what I try to do is stay so blatantly honest to myself and to hunters as a whole, like I'm, I'm not going to say something. I don't want to say something that's going to alienate hunters or non-hunters or anti-hunters. I just want to stay true to me, true to the animals, the wilderness, the wildlife, the people that I've hunted with, and just tell that story so that you, you know, I, I go through life like everyone else. I suck at life in many, many categories. And so I want to celebrate that to have a conversation with people rather than sensationalize it and hide hide what I do or hide misses or wounds or or when I have a misstep. Yeah. And everybody and we talked about this before you know, before we kicked off the the podcast of how you do get a lot of, of fake type um, you know, stuff in the industry. But uh, you know, we had talked about like the mule deer hunt were coming out looking like we were in a concentration camp. Of course, yeah. our video production was a GoPro and me facing it to myself, telling everybody how much I suck that day. But it's still a production. But it, it and it's to get the point of crust, um, you know, on my end for that was, you know, I practice a lot. I'm a good shot, but I'm still getting my ass kicked. So everybody, you, there is hope if you're struggling. And in the case of that, like I got hundreds of messages of, man, your story kept me in the hunt because if you were suffering – I can suffer too. Yeah. And you get that watching while I was laughing because the, the teepee was blowing around in the yeah. video and you were talking about gear. And I, I you know, the, the, the eight, nine people sitting around me heard me because I was like, shit, I hope that holds up because it was our teepee. And, uh, it, but that happens. Like, yeah. you put your, well, and you talked about it. You set it up for scenery rather than, yeah. uh, and I've been very guilty of, I really want to get this night shot. I'm going to set this thing out in the wide open and then pretty soon I'm thinking, what in the – what was I thinking, yeah. right? This was a bad idea for a photo. Yeah. Um, but you told it like it was. I mean you could see when you were sitting there, you had that same look I've had. We were like, Jesus, is this thing going to blow down? This yeah. could go chaotic in a short period yeah. of time. Well, and and when I set it up, it was funny because I, I'm thinking strategy. So there was a, a little dished out 
um, flat of what looked like basalt lava rock. It was really like kind of small pelletized rock. It was really comfortable, something easy to sleep on, keep inside of the teepee really clean, not a lot of dirt. And there was another little pinnacle of rock right next to it. So, so I'm thinking, okay, just to have, I'm going to be here for 30 days. So if my teepee is next to this little pinnacle of rock, it's going to look like a little pinnacle of rock. The animals aren't even going to pay attention. We're quiet camping, of course. And then there's a huge ridgeline all the way around me. And I thought, oh, this is awesome. I have protection from three quarters yeah, you know, three quarters of the sides, maybe, maybe a little less. And, but then I realized after the first couple of nights that all of the wind comes from that final quarter yeah. ripping down the valley. <laughs> and so then I moved into the spruce and it was, I've done this before. I've done it in my life many times in camping, but again, another little lesson learned. All I did was move the teepee, um, probably 200 yards into a small spruce forest on the exact same ridgeline, moved into a small spruce forest. It continued to blow 60 to 70 every night for the next three or four nights. And yet the teepee did not even, I mean, not a breath of movement in that spruce. Yeah. But the entire ridge was getting ripped apart. So it's just, you know, constant, constant learning lesson. No, it, it is. And it, it was good the way that you had taught you. You brought up um, if something happens, I've got my puffy jacket, my, you know, my rain gear. Yep. Like we're prepared for this thing to go nuclear, blow up and still be able to uh, be in a decent enough situation where it's not a, a, a problem where those things. I mean, any shelter, if it goes, especially in wind and rain, your stuff's blowing around, you know, and if you're just sitting in your underwear hoping for the best in the sleeping bag, you can put yourself in a bad situation pretty quick. And you yeah. talked about that, yeah. that you, you prepared for, you know, it to blow down. I'm glad since I've, especially if it was RTP, I'm glad it didn't blow down. Yeah, but, it um, did not. It did not. It held steady, <laughs> held, yeah. held steadfast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you said you've, you've been to a couple sawtooth pools and now was that wind or snow? Wind, wind, an extreme, extreme wind. I'd say uh, 50, 60 plus. And, yeah. and I've I've been to a couple, not bent to where they were total KO'd at the time, but I certainly had to get a new one when I got home and it got bad, so bad once and it was like these microbursts. Like yeah. it wasn't the constant wind, it was that one Yeah, gust. Yeah, that's what it is. And uh, you know what I ended up doing was I bent it back and I went out and cut a aspen down and then I tied it to the pole oh, yeah. for reinforcement. And... Uh, you know, people, you really, you get, you do what you've got to do, right? I mean, you got to, you know, so I, you know, grabbed the hatchet, ran out there and I yep. was like, well, I'm already here. And I, and I didn't run it full length, but I'm thinking, man, I don't, I ain't going out like this, like this pole breaks. I'm, I'm in deep, deep shit. So yeah. I, I ended up tying an Aspen that was yeah. about the size of my arm to the side of the pole to yeah. make sure it wouldn't blow up. No, it's smart. And plus with the Aspen, you can, you know, you can etch the bottom of it and really drive it into the ground and. And yeah. have that be another holding point. Yeah. Yeah. No, for, for sure. Well, that, so that, that movie, um, it's called The Other Side and that was about bear hunting. And was it about six years, five years? Yeah. Six years, six yeah. years. And, and, and again, it was, you know, when we, a lot of guys and I'm not, I'm not, I'm honestly not throwing anyone under the bus, but I'm just being observant of how people, other people do their work. But some people say, Hey, we're going to do in this elk film, you know, we're going elk hunting in Montana. So they go elk hunting in Montana they go to Montana, they go on the elk hunt, they kill an elk or they don't kill an elk, and then they come out and, and kind of tell that story. And we have certainly done that. Um, obviously, Terra Nova, three days on the island, was us spending three days on in Newfoundland hunting woodland caribou, and there's a story that developed there in those three days. And 
and that was more trials and tribulations of weather and and my own um, struggle with target panic, things like that. So stories get developed, but as we were filming these bear hunts and attracting or collecting these assets, I couldn't really find a story that I wanted to tell amongst these bear hunts. And then I just started to critically think about my time as a bear hunter and then had some other people. This is how a lot, oftentimes it comes about people asking me, people that didn't understand bear hunting or people that didn't understand hunting at all, asking me questions about, well, you know, why, why do you hunt bears? Aren't, aren't they endangered? You know, and, and we have to go down that road of, of, um, kind of educating people and re-educating ourselves of, of bear population. Then they say, well, you can't, you can't eat bear meat because it's, it's, um, I, I hear this a lot actually, that people think that predator meat is toxic, that it's filled with poisons and you'll get uh, protein poisoning. And I said, well, n- no, because black bears, every bear, um, in North America, aside from a polar bear, is essentially a a cow with canine teeth. That's mm-hmm. essentially what they are. I mean, I'd rather be attacked by a cow, I think, than a bear, but they're essentially cows with canine teeth. And so through this process of talking with people and asking myself these questions and then reflecting on the things that I've experienced in bear hunting, and I, I kind of started to think about this storyline of how I've progressed as a as a hunter in, in using bear hunting as a as an example and so that was kind of the the skeletal system if you will the bones of the film gotcha and uh you wanted a 14er right i'm sending that text out because i forgot to have them built in. oh yeah uh, yeah 14er with that outside um what do you call that outside bag the sherman we just came out with it yeah um, and i don't want them to match i want one to be one color and one to be another color okay. <laughs> well, as that, we're shopping at kafaru yeah <laughs> the uh well, the thing with uh uh, bears is they're kind of they're a herbivore in the spring yeah. and they're a carnivore and a herbivore in the fall. Yeah. Or, or I've explained it to people yeah. that way because they, you know, bears um, get basically a it's a butt plug for a, I mean, that's the redneck term, but they so they can go into hibernation. They, yeah. Their stomach plugs up. So when they come out of hibernation, they're looking for the most luscious, nutritious, nutrient-filled grass to get their stomach working and to kick that thing out. Fire it back up. Yep, yep. And so, you know, when I explain to people, you know, hunting, I'm not really hunting bears per se in the spring. I'm hunting really nutritious grass that bears are going to be on. In the fall, you're hunting berries usually, you know, depending on where you're at. And the the thing with the like with bears now it'd be a stretch i wouldn't eat a grizzly um but i black bear is good um i can't say i've tried grizzly cuz i haven't so mm-hmm. i but um it's actually really good, if, good? You, if you but i mean it's intensive i'm sure there's grizzly bear guides all over the world that probably want to roll over in their graves or are rolling their eyes it's intensive to prepare yeah, but it is very good. In the film, you see, um, there's a shot where I'm talking about eating bear, and you see this gentleman laying down a giant roast in a really hot um, cast iron pan, and that is grizzly bear meat that we're cooking there. I was wondering. It looked, I thought, because it was such a large, it was big a big piece. chunk, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. And it was phenomenal to eat. But um, in full disclosure, the gentleman that was laying that down in that cast iron pan is a chef of the highest regard, and so. Um, what he prepared was, I mean, if I, if I had you eat what he prepared that day for us, um, you, you would be asking what supermarket you could go and buy that stuff. And it was, it was truly remarkable, unbelievable. 
we so up in in uh, BC we we use the Traeger, mm-hmm. and oh, I mean, you can get um, what it, uh, liver flukes from from bear if you don't cook yeah. it through, right? Yeah. So. Uh, I was a little nervous at first with the trigger because it does slow cook it more. But I mean, I've never gotten liver flukes personally. But mm-hmm. that bear on the trigger is unbelievable. It's it's awesome. Now, yeah, it's really good. Oh yeah, and a lot of times too, we'll we'll bear makes great chili, and so mm-hmm. uh, Amy wanted to make bear chili. She she's not a hunter, but she she's a cook, yeah. and so. Like she was amazed because it is fatty and bit flavorful that how much better the bear chili was than the elk chili. Mm-hmm. And she could – a lot of people can't tell. you. There was a noticeable difference. And so I kind of run into the same thing explaining to people like mountain lion is really good. You know, really like, good. You know, you may look at it as, um, you know, you're eating your neighborhood cat. But th- this cat eats – two and a half deer a month or whatever the mm-hmm. hell it is. And I, you know, it's a different, you know, trying to put things into perspective for people is what I try to do in the, in the sense of like, Hey, I understand where you're coming from, mm-hmm. but let me rebuttal a little bit and give mm-hmm. you a different perspective to look at it. And you do a great job of that. So, I mean, it's a good thing for the hunting community. And I appreciate that. And, and not to um, digress on something that would be terrible animal cruelty, but if we, if, if your average neighborhood cat, was just a feral cat and we lived in true wilderness without these organized societies and you and I had to kill, quote unquote, the neighborhood cat, a feral cat to eat it, it would be just fine. Yep. It would be just fine because that thing is crushing songbirds and mice and voles all, all day long. And so we would kill that animal and eat it. And and it's not going to be as appealing as a deer or sheep or moose or elk, but it's, it's going to be um, just fine to eat. And, but mountain lion just takes it to... Um, another level. And, and it's funny how many times guides and outfitters and other hunters, they've never even considered the idea. It's not that they've killed a ton of mountain lions and haven't eaten them. They've never even killed a mountain lion. They've never even considered eating one. They've never even considered um, kind of the full circle pieces that come together when you're hunting an animal like that. But when we cooked it in, in BC last last February, I think it was, we couldn't get it from the grill to the table. Yeah. People people would start grabbing it. Like, yeah. you know, like, I mean, we might as well have been making egg rolls. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was just not making it to the kitchen table. And, and twice we made, we made, um, I got in an argument with a buddy of mine who shall remain nameless, but he, he's like, bear meat is not good. And I said, I'll tell you what, he was hunting some bears before I got there. Mm-hmm. And I know he was hunting two boars that he estimated to be in the upper teens. He knew these bears. They're you know, old, 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 big boars. Their teeth were all broken off. He'd watched these boars many times. They were in somewhat of a predictable place. And I said, I tell you what, if you kill one of those boars, you save his meat for us to cook. And and he's like, no way. And so he ended <laughs> up killing one. He, he scanned it out and he sent me a picture and he's like, this thing is slimy and yellow and disgusting. I said, please <laughs> save it. So he saved it. We cooked it. And everyone that was there just destroyed it, ate it all, asking for more, wanted us to cook more. And this is from a bear that is ancient. Yeah. Yeah. People, okay, you go to McDonald's. Well, I don't go to McDonald's, but people go to McDonald's and yeah. it's a greasy burger. Yeah. And they love a greasy burger. Yeah. Well, a bear is greasy. Yeah. So, even though people, that's kind of a slight towards a bear, 
you're eating greasy fried chicken, you're eating a greasy burger. And if you if you know that going ahead and when you're cooking a bear and you, you, you use that for the bear cooking rather than just thinking it's greasy, I don't want to eat it. Yeah. It's, pre- it's pretty damn good. And I've only eaten mountain lion a few times because you just don't get to shoot that many, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but mountain lion is, it reminds me of chicken. I hate to say that, but as yep. far as the, how the meat pulls apart and everything else, it tastes, I think it tastes a lot better than chicken personally, but yeah. I know um, I'm going to try and bring back some for Amy so she can try it yeah. on this hunt I'm going on. But I think um, putting the best foot forward, which, you know, this is coming from um, a guy who isn't, like we talked about, maybe as reverent as I could be, but because of photography, I get to private groups for photos, right? Like mm-hmm. professional photographers. And a lot of times it may be a hunting related photo. It's I don't ever post just grip and grins. Not that I have a problem with grip and grin, but wrong place, wrong space. But they'll know I'm a hunter and it actually brings up great conversation for a hunter to put his best foot forward and explain like, you know, if you guys are eating burgers or whatever, you know, you you did kill that animal. You don't know it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've you've painted a much better picture because it was wrapped in cellophane. And but I'm not doing anything different than you guys are. I just brought it home, and then I'll explain, like with a bear, you know, bears do eat their cubs so they can breed again. Bears eat other animals, you know, and and explain kind of how the circle of life works so they don't just think of a warm and fuzzy, cute little cuddly bear that means no ill will towards anyone. And it it actually works out really well because that photography got me, got to step in the door, right? Got me to cross that threshold Mm -hmm. to where I'm kind of accepted. Mm -hmm. And then I take that and kind of run Mm -hmm. with it to where I can, you know, paint a better picture for hunters. Because in a lot of ways, we have not done a, a great job at times of painting great photo or painting a great picture in a public's eye for hunters. And Mm -hmm. and we're doing a lot better about that now, I think. So it is, it is getting better. It is getting better. And it's the same thing. Like our work, it it does the exact same thing. I, I easily, I would say of the letters that I receive easily 50, 50 are non-hunters and anti-hunters easily, maybe even more. And, and, and then I have another contingent, um, which has been more recent, which I love. It, this has ramped up since um, I hopped on with Joe Rogan on his podcast. But a lot of guys have reached back out and said, you know, I used to hunt yeah. when I was younger. And now because I listen to Joe Rogan podcast, I'm dusting the bow off. I'm actually going to get out there and, and um, yeah, I just, I enjoy it. I enjoy, I don't do this to recruit new hunters. Um, I don't do this to um, try and change the minds of the non-hunting contingent. Those are just um, positive byproducts of hunting. Um, and I say this and I, and it's in the same regard as your photography hunting well and good. When we, when we hunt really well and we're asking ourselves difficult questions, we're engaging in wild spaces responsibly and we're ethically trending towards becoming experts of our weapon, experts of these animals, biology experts of the habitat that they, um, live in, you know, like you get confused and I make fun of you behind your back. Um, often it happens. (laughs) Guys say, Oh, Aaron Snyder's a killer. And it makes me kind of giggle because guys like this, they like to give badassery where, um, call it what you want, but I know who you are and I know what you're doing. You've become, a a craftsman of your weapon, you become a craftsman of the terrain that you're in and a craftsman of your shot sequence and maybe 
maybe you're trending towards being on the aggressive side of taking the shot or something like that where where somebody might be a little bit more reserved but I'm actually suspicious I I actually even doubt that and we haven't hunted together yet but um, I know what you're doing because I do the exact same thing Mm -hmm. Um, and all it is is that you're trending towards being better at these different pieces that put you in that that put you in that realm i talked to friends of mine guys that i know i'm not going to necessarily say friends but i talked to guys that i know i just talked to this gentleman the other day and i have a i have a hunting lease in uh wisconsin that i just family and friends hunt it i go out there to shoot does to eat and and box and it's it's the same place where i took my dad a couple last year where he killed his first buck um but I met this gentleman and he was telling me about, he was asking me about my deer hunting. And then I asked him about his deer hunting and, and he had been traveling to Northern Wisconsin. And, uh, I said, so how's it going? And he's like, Oh, I, I love it up there. And I go up there and he's telling me the stories. He's like, we set me and my sons go up there. We set up a tent camp and he's, he's painting a beautiful picture of what they do and they have fun and, and flesh it all out to me. And, and I said, so how'd you guys do this year? And he's like, well, I think my sons are kind of losing their way a little bit. Um, I'm seeing it on their faces that they're maybe not enjoying it as much as they used to. And I said, oh, why do you think that is? And he says, well, we, we haven't seen a deer in 12 years. Good Lord. Haven't seen a deer yeah. in 12 years. And so, um, but I, I, I'm suspicious that he, that gentleman does the same thing every year, sits in the same places every year, and he's not seeing deer. But he's he thinks it's a uh, an act of luck yeah. that this deer is going to come by. And and so my, my point is um, – you know, through through doing these different things, like you know, I I know who you are. I know as as we trend towards doing this stuff, it just opens up a lot of really good conversations, and mm-hmm. and obviously lends us to have conversations with non hunters and anti hunters, and then and recruit new guys coming to the table. Yeah, for sure. And I yeah, definitely people will paint certain pictures. You know, people paint whatever picture they want to on yeah. someone. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get. I really don't get too wrapped up about it, but I, I do get super hyper focused. You know, I'm yeah. very, very committed to what I'm doing, and and I do it also. Um, you know, it is kind of a disservice to the animal to pick your bow up a week before season and go hunting if you haven't practiced. Right, you're not really doing the animal. It's 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 due diligence it deserves if, yeah. if you do that. I mean, to be honest with you, it's almost as irresponsible as hunting without a license. Yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I I would agree. And by no means, and I make uh, behind your back same thing. I, I talk about Donnie Vincent, the shit out of something, right? Like I, I'm not good at uh, <laughs> yeah. this great quote for Like I post a photo and won't even put text in it. Yeah. I just hope the photo carries because one, I'm not the most well-written guy in the world and in, in motivational speeches and in little like blurbs, I'm not good at. Not mm-hmm. that you do motivational speeches, yeah, yeah. you just talk about being in the moment. Um but it's good because if there was just guys like you, you may not relate to uh, one type. Of course. But guys like me, they're not going to relate to a different type. And so that's why, you know, it takes all all types to, to make the world go round. Absolutely. As yeah. long as everybody has their best foot forward trying to paint a good picture for hunting, it's great because then we're all relating to different people and hopefully cover that, you know, a much wider uh, span. Uh, you know, and uh, again— my when I take a photo, the last thing probably on my mind is I hope this converts people from 
non to pro no, hunting. No, you wouldn't be a good photographer if that was your motivation. Exactly. But if it's a whatever you ancillary benefit, I'm all for it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And 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 you know, talking kind of shift gears here while we're talking about this, you're looking at getting into traditional archery. And that is something that has changed my life, made me look at things totally different. And what what is uh I mean what drew you to it? At, I mean, I know because we've already talked about it, but what's drawing you to that? That, uh, the connection. I feel it. I already feel uh, an immense connection when I'm in the wilderness. I already feel um, completely in place when I'm backpack hunting with my compound or even a high-powered rifle. I feel completely um, dialed into the places that I'm I'm hiking through and hunting and the animals I'm hunting. I just feel... Uh, call it in an intrinsic uh, relationship or an intrinsic value. It's it. I feel my heart and soul feels full when I'm in these areas. When I'm hunting, when I kill an animal, and and I'm breaking it down. I I'm much like you. The suffering uh, brings a euphoria to me. Like yeah. the the more I'm breaking down, the more my muscles are breaking down. The more exhausted I get. The I I'm not going to celebrate bad weather. I'm going to knock on wood. Actually, yeah, I don't celebrate rain. No, I don't. no. Yeah. <laughs> but even when it's raining, even when I'm sitting there and I'm watching the drips pop off of my the lid of my rain jacket and just pop, pop, pop. And there's, it's funny because when it's not raining. You can't really visualize it raining. And when it's raining, you certainly cannot visualize it stopping. Yeah. And so I kind of appreciate the suffering. I appreciate what I'm doing where I am. But I feel like through traditional archery, through um, this is going to maybe sound a little bit too poetic, but even how the bows are made, the craftsmen that make them, even looking at them, like watching you shoot yesterday at RMS gear. Like just watching your draw cycle and looking at that bow. And obviously I have a romantic connection to it because I grew up watching Fred Bear like everyone else. And I, I grew up watching these other traditional archers and you just kind of see this flow much like, you know, casting a fly rod, much like all these other um, movements and, and the arrows, the broadheads, like trending away from the technologies, trending away from the mechanics of you know, different mechanical heads, things like that, just trending back towards the origin, but more than anything, having that that necessary evil to get ultra close yeah. and to have that relationship of watching that animal breathe and watching his eye or her eye and watching their ears move and, and paying attention to the bushes you're around, the rocks, the flowers, the cactus, the tundra, really become you, what, what you do. And I know you know this, and I know guys that do this well, you become an expert of the five feet that are around you, Yeah, right? You, you, you'll even move a rock or move a stick or how you place your knee down. And then you're seeing this animal and then having that, and I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Because I haven't done this with a, with a recurve, but having that. You're knocking out of the park pretty good so far. Yeah. So having that flow of coming to full draw and hitting those mechanics, hitting your, you know, hitting all of your points, your anchor points, and just getting there and then picking your spot on the animal and that release, just having the whole thing stem to stern, I just know it is going to own my mind should I find the talent to even bring myself to the field. I'm certainly going to start shooting one. I'm going to start um, a three-year mentorship under Tom Clum Sr. Um, and I found him through you. And um, sur surely I'm going to shoot my 
my recurve every day once once we get set up whether i hunt with one or not what well, you know that my my talents will lend me that way or not so and, and i bet you'll you'll be surprised i i bet i bet you will i mean i'm 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 assuming like um you know, you got decent enough hand-eye coordination. Now you talked about right-handed, left-eye dominant, vice versa. But mm-hmm. um, the the thing with Tom, and it's Tom Clum, he's owner of Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. He's got two sons, both crazy wrestlers um, that are, were, you know, and they're very – Tom Clum is one of those guys that – I don't know how to put it. James Earl Jones' voice that the world is going to be a far lesser place when that man is gone. He's just one of those guys that – He's just an unbelievable dude. I can't say enough good things yeah. about him. Not just as from shooting, although definitely that, but mm-hmm. just as a person. And he, you know, coming, having him helping mm-hmm. catapult you ahead of, of anyone else trying because you you get the uh, – he's been there, done that, right? He's had target panic. He's snapshot. He's done all the bad things. He's 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 been there. So when he's telling you, he's not telling you from – you know, other stories he's heard. It's his own stories. And I told you last night, there's probably 15 different things he said would happen. And I was checking them on the list one by one because they all happened. I mean, yeah. he, you know, the you're probably going to kill an animal on your second or third arrow, Aaron. And I did, you yeah. know, first animal was on my second. Yeah. And then, you know, you become to where it's so, um, again, not, not to Donnie Vincent the shit out of this, but it, it truly becomes a part of your your soul where you are so connected to that bow and the flight of the arrow that when you finally do pull it off and you, you watch that, that arrow hit the animal, it's a different feeling than I've ever got from any other weapon. Yeah. And you do come, it kind of comes full circle where you're like, one, all this hard work, I did it. But two, it, it it's the... Um, God, how would I put this? You are so connected to everything around you, not just the weapon, but like you said, animal behavior. You're mm-hmm. going to watch more animal behavior than you ever have because mm-hmm. you just can't shoot. You, you've you got to wait. And so you see things that you would have never seen before because you may have to wait four or five hours yeah. <laughs> watching the animal. And the me of five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, I didn't care, right? I just yeah, – just, yeah, but yeah, now yeah. – I well, like turkey hunting, you know, turkey came out, it was at forty yards. Normally I would have just shot it. Twenty minutes later, that thing put on an epic, you know, show uh, mm-hmm. you know, obviously strutting around and finally comes into eight yards and I shot it. You know, not to again be too like um, you know, tree hugger ish about this, <laughs> but if I had a compound, I would have missed that fifteen minutes of my life of the coolest uh, and it's a turkey but the coolest no they put on i mean if you if you if you isolated a turkey if they were a rarity yeah you would celebrate them they put on a display unbelievable unbelievable like he came in behind the blind and i can hear him you know when they shiver at full, yeah. when they're and i can just hear him and i'm always like oh. and of course i'm shaking a bit like running through my don't screw this up getting all you know myself together i'm peeking out of the blind watching it come around and it's going back and forth and then you you know i would have missed that i would have had that 15 minutes if i had a compound in my hand i would have never had that and you know obviously this is a podcast with you but another example of laying down for three to five hours behind 215 inch mule deer in alberta i got pinned down Mm -hmm. 
And at 55 yards, they're a 200-plus-inch rack in front of me that I can't get any closer. Yep. Now, I didn't kill it, which is depressing, but <laughs> I would have never had that before. And that rack is stuck in my mind forever. Yeah. Like, and I mean, it's a win, right? Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. you, you can you can back off of you didn't punch your ticket on that deer, but you will never forget about that stock. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. And, and I've been super lucky and, um, you know, very blessed with what the animals I've been able to to take. But every one of them means more to me than any compound, you know, yeah. I've ever had. And, and I think that's where you're going to get addicted. When you f- shoot the first one, you're fucked. You're not going to ever come back from it because it is you watch that arrow, you know, so let's say you shoot yellow, pink, whatever, fletching. Yeah. You don't get to see it go through really with a compound. You're watching it arc, and when it hits that animal, the elation, I guess you could say, of all the hard work and everything you've done kind of comes full circle. And I'm not an emotional guy. Mm-hmm. I got not about the farthest stretch, but I got choked up when I shot my elk. And I make fun of people for crying when they shoot animals. I'm, I'm that dickhead. I'm like, oh, yeah. toughen up, man. I literally was like, <laughs> It's heavy. Oh. Because people don't realize how much effort you've put into it. And when it comes together, you know, you're like, I did it. I I finally did it. And it's like this unbelievable wall in front of you that you could never climb. And when you finally get to the top, it's hard not to, you know, you're going to have a hard time holding it together. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even walking in yesterday, it's the first archery shop I've ever walked in in my entire life where there were more trad bows then i mean it's the opposite right it's the very opposite usually you go into a pro shop there are uh 200 compounds on the wall and maybe four or five recurves long bows in the corner going into tom's shop yesterday and just seeing walls of recurves and long bows and then they're there is it a sister shop where they have compounds is it a different bow shop nope same shop they just they separated it to where that portion matt runs the compound okay. side Okay, so yeah, just seeing, just walking in there, it made me feel like I was walking to an archery shop in 1985. Yeah. Right, it's just so cool. And I, I know, I, I just, I'm really excited to work with Tom because that's is funny because he said to me, we've had extensive phone conversations and we have very similar um, hunting ethics. Mm-hmm. We have very similar ideas of hunting and and, uh, and of the wilderness and of the animals and, and um you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to ask you to forget everything that you know about traditional archery. And, and I said, That's a, this is great because I know nothing. So we're yeah. going to be, <laughs> this is going to be starting from scratch. And um, I'm excited, really excited about it. Yeah, I hope, I, I truly hope that um, you uh, get the addiction. Well, you've I can see you've already starting to get it. But yeah. meaning um, you get to a point, maybe you don't hunt. You know, maybe you just go on a doe hunt the first time or, you know, whatever, just yeah. like to get your, you know, the taste of it. But I I think you would be surprised the lethality of them. And, and again, I make eat crow all the time because I talked crap about them for so many years. What did you um, used to say? A lot of it was um, because of different people coming over to me as I shot a compound and I was maybe practicing in a far distance. They would tell me I was unethical and it ended up being kind of – um. Um, you know, a big uh, bump in the middle of the bridge that we would meet at and I would be throwing rocks from one side and they'd yeah. be throwing them back. 
that that um, and I was speaking out of turn. I didn't know. I never shot one. Mm-hmm. Of hey, you guys suck. You can't hit anything anyway. Why are you you know bashing me? And then they would say, oh, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. All of it, no, it was none of it was good. Obviously, mm-hmm. because we need to stick together. You know now. I haven't taken a step back and animals on the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm putting the same amount down, but what I'm getting out of it is tenfold more. And tenfold. What I'm seeing for animal behavior is tenfold more. Yeah. And so I get a lot. And you do get wrapped up in it because there is, uh, and again, this is something else I made fun of. I didn't care about a wood bow. I bought a you know carbon or aluminum mm-hmm. riser bow. And now when you go to, you know, you get into it and you know the poundage you want and everything else, you are building your, your your third arm to, so to speak, or the extension of your body. And you can do all these cool things to, for the looks of it. Yeah. Um, and it's someone's, um, someone has built that for you and put blood, sweat and tears in building it. And again, me five to 10 years ago, I didn't give a shit. Now, I get all geeked out. I'm like, all right, dude, just make it look badass. I kind of like a darker look. And you pick the inlay. And it's different. You don't get that with a compound. Yeah. You, hey, spray paint it this other color. Yeah, right? yeah, but yeah, yeah. Now this guy, and, and so there's definitely more of um, uh, not just a primal side of it, but there's also a, a you're more connected. A right? personal touch. Yep. So yeah. how, you know, Tom mentioned this and a few of the other guys mentioned this stuff that the bow will pick me. That's right, that that I'll shoot one better than I shoot the other. So, how did you? What was the bow you were shooting last night? Uh, that was a wingard. Um, I think it's an ibex, eighteen inch riser, uh, okay. sixty four inches long. Okay, I just uh, I, I'm just curious to see like they is you know they're all so freaking badass looking to me. So when you yeah, that's another problem. You get I call it trad wood. Yeah, you hear that you're walking around and all of them look good. And you just, it's like having a ton of hot chicks around. You just don't know what to pick. You're like Jesus, they're all hot, but one of them's gonna, you know what? There's initial and it, it and I tell people the bow is like a, a woman picking a woman. You have to have initial attraction, and I don't care what any man says. You never walk up and look in a woman's heart out of the gate. There's got to be yeah. maybe a boob guy, maybe yeah, yeah. a butt guy, yeah, brunette. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're gonna have that, and you're gonna shoot it. And what's in that bow's soul may not be what's in yours. And and this is a weird way to put it. So you're going to go to the next bow that has that initial attraction. One of those bows will sing to you. And yeah. you're just, yep, that's it. Yep. That's the one. And and you will know. Like for me, it was a Palmer initially. Okay. Um, and I, I shot that bow well. And then I shot a Widow really well. Mm-hmm. Um, a Black Widow. A Black Widow, mm-hmm. yep. And uh, th- this Wingard, same thing. I can shoot, well, you saw last night, I can shoot that Wingard. Really and well. I, a, a Bob Lee is another one that I shoot really well. And so... When you're doing that, you'll grab that bow and, you know, once your form's half-ass, you're going to shoot and you'll probably shoot four or five arrows and be like, that hit right where I was looking. Yeah. You're going to grab it again and maybe grab another bow and that one is going to hit more or less where you're looking and then that's going to be the bow that picks you. Yeah. And the thing that's, um, you know, good is if you can come out to Tom's, you get to, there's a lot of bows you get to take a look at. Um, You know, for me... uh, I'm not going to keep going on and on because I'm so addicted to it now. I could talk forever. But I, I think that you will get to a point. I, I would bet that you will literally say, all right, I'm going to hunt everything with a traditional bow until the last day or two. And if I need to, you, you'll choose to say, hey, you know, I'd rather shoot it with a high-powered rifle on the last day and give it 
10 hard days with the, the trad bow sure. um, rather than pick up a compound. Sure. And, and the fact that you don't do this, I mean, you make money from your production company or mm-hmm. whatever, but I mean, the fact that you, you're in a position, you don't really have to take a, um, a check from a bow company, right? I, absolutely like, not. So you've got, um, you know, podcasts and different avenues or whatever that, that, that have to take money from sponsors to mm-hmm. stay alive. That's their job. That can put you into kind of a some some sticky situations where maybe you're promoting something you don't want. We talk selling out, right? Yeah. You're in a position you – well, I laughed so hard last night because Amy was laughing because you wore about 15 different types of clothing. Uh-huh. And she was laughing because our garage looks like that. Yeah. I may wear camo one day, solids the next, a mixture of both. Yeah. I really don't. I, I would much rather wear clothing that I can go to the, the Walmart with yeah. or – Right after I went Afterwards, hunting. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, like, we're, yeah. we're both wearing it today. Yeah. I I'm, can hunt I'm, this and... Yeah, I'm, I shot my deer wearing this shirt this year. It, exactly. Yeah. And so with the, you know, as we're, as we're talking about all that, when you have the um, ability to just do whatever you want, you're really going to be able to um, kind of let yourself go compared to a lot of compound guys. There's the promotional side. Who's mm-hmm. going to promote them? Am I going to get any money from it? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Where with the stick bow side, it's it's heart and soul and, and what you want to do. And you're in a good, good good position for that. You're going to get to shoot what you want. And you know what's funny is, and we all, we, I'm not going to say we've all done it, but people do it. And whether you are sponsored by Toyota or I don't care if it's Hostess Cupcakes or you're sponsored by whatever spans, but it, it is funny. Like right now I work with um, Pete Shepley and PSE and um, – and it's funny because PSE's bows, which are beautifully engineered, beautifully designed, shoot beautifully, had nothing to attract me to PSE. The bow had zero, um, had nothing to do with it. Uh, a, an offer from Pete Shepley, a conversation with Pete Shepley is what brought me to um, the company and, and wanting to work with him and wanting to work with PSE. But it's funny because I see other people in the industry saying, you know, the next bow that comes out that they shoot from their company is the fastest, smoothest, quietest, lightest, longest, shortest, best bow they've ever shot. And I just, every time I see these little clips, you know, from these guys that have sponsorships with these bow companies, I just think, I I just, I mean, I actually asked this question, um, to other bow companies that I spoke with a few years ago when I started just shooting all the different bows, which was really, oddly enough, drew uh, Pete to me, Shepley. Mm-hmm. He originally, when he called me, I lost my bow in BC and he he called me, he got a hold of my cell phone number. He called me and said, hey, there's a couple of PSE dealers relatively close to you. Go get set up. Let me get you set up so you can get back on your hunt. And I said, no, thank you. But no, thank you. But very generous. But what drew him to me was he read all those bow reviews and he said, I really liked how you had something positive and nice to say about all the bow companies that you shot. And it's the same thing like you and I were talking this morning, whether you people love to drive a stake in the ground, whether you drive a Chevy, a Ford, a Toyota, a Dodge, but really they're all, they're all good. Right. But same with compounds these days. And what I love, another idea that I love about the trad is, you know, Black Widow or 
Mike Palmer or the other one, what was the last Wing, one? Wingard. Wingard. You know, they're not ever going to give you, you know, you're not going to be like, oh, my word, this is is this the new 2019 uh, yeah, no. Burley Maple. Oh, <laughs> oh my word! This is this Burley Maple looks so much different oh, than it did in 2013. Yeah, yeah, this. I mean, the the bow that you're shooting very likely could have been made in 1985, and uh, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's uh, some things that have happened with string materials or whatever. But it's just it just kind of that's the other aspect that I really like about it is it's not not that you paint yourself into a corner, but it's so it's such a simple, um, not design, but it's just such a simple act. The flow of you, the bow, the string, the arrow, the broadhead, that it doesn't have to be filled with a lot of technology to chase. Um, you know, you, you don't have to chase speed necessarily. You don't have to chase um, quietness necessarily. These are aspects of it, but you get what I'm saying. Oh, it's yeah, it's no. greatly reduced and thus simplified and, and purified. When you go into the field and you have an extra string and that's your kit, mm-hmm. you've gone a long way, right? Like I saw you, you had the same setup I do when you were, you're getting a stabilizer on, you've got the dial and then, mm-hmm. you know, spot hog sight. Yep. Um, by the way, love spot hog for anybody listening, but now you're going in and you've got a quiver full of arrows, heart and soul, and a wooden bow or phenolic or whatever the hell you're shooting aluminum. Yeah. The other thing, one thing I would say, though, is you're shooting, um, you know, the bows and you figure it out, which may be a couple, three you like. The one thing I kind of base it off of, too, is the people behind it, yeah. right? Like you probably wouldn't use a Kafaru if you didn't like me and if I didn't like, you know, Trent Wingard or the guys over at Black Widow, yeah. I wouldn't. Well, I don't shoot a Palmer because Mike's an asshole. Okay. Point blank. There and you go. If, uh, but I mean, that's obviously in my opinion. If people love Mike, by all means. But um, <laughs> I just didn't like Mike that much. Yeah. And maybe it was me or whatever, but I want that connection with the company as well. Like you and I don't talk really throughout the year at all, but when we do talk, it's a meaningful conversation and we shoot shit for 30 minutes and mm-hmm. you go about your business, I go about mine and we have a good connection. I like to have that with the bow company, so I want to shoot the bow well, but I also want to be able to call and talk about the guy's kids. How, yeah. You know what? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a big part of it for me too. And so like right now for me, I'm shooting a Widow, a Wingard, and a Bob Lee. And when I get back from this hunt, I'm just going to shoot them over and over and over. And, you know, New Year, right? I shot a Widow last year, whether it's a Widow, a Lee, or a Wingard. One of those three because I like the people yeah. and I like the bow. Yeah. Um, That's very, very, very important to me. I could probably uh, probably wear any backpack that I wanted to and work with a backpacking company, but you and I have um, struck a chord, and not only through who you are, but we struck a chord through the products that you guys have designed and implemented work for me. I like um, the teepee is – the eight-man teepee is my second home. Yeah. You find someone that lives more in your eight-man teepee than me, or maybe you. And um, no, you live in it more than I do because I don't. I don't use the eight-man as much. I think you live in it more than anybody. I, and we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that thing is my second home. I mean, I know it inside and out, and it's just I absolutely love it. But those products, because I I called Kafaru, and I I believe I've told you this story, but I called Kafaru when I started out, and I didn't beg for anything. But I, I didn't have any money. So I called Kafaro and said, hey, I, I love 
the eight-man teepee. I think it'll be perfect for me and my crew and camera gear. And and so, um, my name's Donnie Vincent. I'm I'm I have a new production company. I'm going to do some um, wilderness and wildlife documentary series. And um, your teepees are really expensive. Can I get a Can I get a teepee at cost? And whoever I was speaking with at Kafaru said, No, but we will keep an eye on you. And um, we'll, this is before Aaron, by the way. This is before Aaron. <laughs> and so yeah, whoever I spoke to said, No, um, well, and so I bought one at full price and I used it for years and years and years. And then after I used it for years and years and years, you called me and said, Hey, let me tell it from my side. Yeah. I saw you using the teepee and I took over here marketing and whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I, I looked at the order history and I saw the price and then I went over and I'm like, you charge Donnie full price? <laughs> and they're like, what? And I'm like, it's Donnie. He's earned a discount, right? Like if you – the way I look at discounts, right? Yeah. If – well, this which is how it led us into the position we are. Now I just called you and said, dude, whatever you need, just tell me and I'll, I'll give it to you. Because yeah. you were promoting us without us paying you, giving you free gear. You were promoting us so you had already earned – several, you know, checks in, in my book where I'm like, all right. And so I called you and was like, hey, dude, let's let's figure this out. You need anything, get a hold of us and we'll we'll take care of you. Because you had already shown you were a follower of the, you know, you were a believer in the product. 100%. We get guys that call the one an astronomical amount of money that have never used the product. Poor Frank has to deal with them now. Fantastic. And, and, and it's like, you know, Frank will say, what's your favorite product? Oh, I don't have any of them. Well, you just said our it's, we we have the best product in the world. You don't know that, and we talked about that earlier. Is Kafaru the best? We're one of them. Yeah. But you could. I think we're always in the top three. Yeah. If you ask anybody, we're usually going to be in the top three of shelters and backpacks. Yeah. I may not be number one in a lot of people's. I could be two or three, but we're one of them. And so, you know, for me, same with optics or anything else. If you're using one of the top three or four, you're not a sellout. That's you know, maybe it's in some people's eyes two or three or four, but your your relationship with the owner is a level one. That's right. That's all that matters. That's you right. Know, when you sell out is when you use a specific product because the paycheck is extremely large yeah. and, and, and that's what bothers me. And that was the thing I liked most about you is you are using Kafaru. Yeah, and I've never I've never started using I've never ever always my use of gear has led to the relationship has led to working with a company um not once has has it come from either a company calling me out of the blue almost all of those i've i've ever um been inclined to i've i've said no to and then never have i called never have i called a company and, and said hey i really want to work with you guys let's see if we can set something up and then true to you guys and true to i use our relationship Whenever I talk to other companies that we work with or companies that we produce work for, um, I always use our relationship as a number one example because when you and I were on the phone, you said, I want to ramp up our relationship with you and Kafaru. I want to ramp up some um, research and development and, and photography assets, film assets for Kafaru. So let's start building a, a bigger relationship. However, you said, if you go on a another hunt that you need a backpack from a different company you need a different element for a particular hunt that we don't make and you need to use a backpack from another company it's most important that you remain true to yourself so you have that ability to use another backpack same with shelters yeah. if i go someplace that the you know that i need a standalone tent 
right? Or something like that. Or I need to minimize, um, like for instance, I just stayed in, uh, I was just on Tiburon Island and um, the areas that I were hiking to hunt sheep, there aren't a lot of areas to put a teepee up. Yeah, It just is not flat enough. It's too rocky. And then there's so many scorpions spiders and snakes they said you you can do it because uh, you know i was asking i was like well maybe i'll bring my sawtooth and he's like look tiburon is very difficult hunt it's very hot it's going to be very taxing for us because we have to carry all of our water for at least a week we have to carry all of our full weight food for at least a week because we can't use freeze-dried mm-hmm. and he said i want you to get a good night's sleep and you're going to get harassed all night by rattlesnakes scorpions and tarantulas that you're just not going to, whether you're afraid of them or, or not, and I'm not, but whether you're afraid of a tarantula or not, a tarantula walking over your face at night is going to keep you awake. It's just the fact of the matter. And so, you know, so I used, um, I used an enclosed standalone tent on that hunt and for, to, to speak to your guys' value, that's, that is so tremendous to have a relationship like you and I have, to have the products that you guys have, because you guys really really test your products, really use your products. And I, and, and we did not, we're not doing this podcast for, um, to pump up Kafaru, not the furthest thing from it, but I'm just telling you, these are things that I noticed because there are a lot of companies that I have seen that have approached me before that say, Hey, you know, have you tried our jacket? And I say, yeah, I have, you know, and, and, um, and they say, what'd you think of it? And I say, well, have you ever worn it in the rain? Yeah. I can tell you <laughs> this thing is not functioning in the rain. You know, they're like, oh, tell it, tell us about it. It's like, man, you didn't even, you didn't even do any research. You didn't even right. go outside yourself, you know, to test this thing. You built something, you built a product to try to take the market to sell to people. So you, you, you know, it's, it's, I speak about it with camouflage. Camouflage is for the most part, designed to sell to people. 100%. 100%. And there's nothing wrong with that. Camouflage is cool. I I enjoy it myself. But, um, you know, I have so many guys that write me and they're like, you're never going to kill an elk wearing a red hat. So just so you know, your trip's not going to be successful. And then two days later, I arrow a big elk and, and, you know, and they're dumbfounded. But to speak to your guys, our relationship and your guys' mantra um, it's sensational. It's sensational. It's authentic. It's real. I will. Yeah. Kafar is just, it's good. It's really good. Well, you know, I'm in the same kind of position you're in. And that's when we had that conversation was now with packs, I always use our, our packs, but like shelters, um, I use a Hilleberg a lot. I, when I was on Tiburon, I used a Nyack. Um, yeah, yeah. and I tell people, they're like, I can't believe you're the CEO of Kafaru and you run Hilleberg. And I'm like, well, before I was the CEO, I ran Hilleberg what would change, right? Like yeah. if it did change, that'd be full shit. Yeah. Now, I don't always use a Hilleberg and I don't always use a Kafaru. I use what's most applicable at that place in space and time, yeah. right? Yeah. And for now for packs, obviously with us, I, I have, you know, in the case of, of whether it's a day pack or whatever, I prefer our packs, but there may be a situation last night you were wearing a Barney's and Amy yeah. asked, she's like, what is that? And I said, oh, it's Barney's. And That's the only other know, pack, by the way, that I've ever worn besides a Kafaru. Yeah. And it's... I mean, I, I explained it to her. I said, uh, Kevin, Dana, and uh, Barney Bob run, and I gave her the quick spiel. I said, super cool guys. I said, Kevin and I are super close. And I said, it's a big frame pack. You can strap a ton of shit to it. It's built like a brick shit house. And she was like, do you have one? And I said, yeah, I have one in storage. And uh, she's like, well, what's it like? I said, it, it, it's just made of tubes. And so you can strap, you know, this is while the video is going yeah, on. I'm whispering. Yeah. I'm like, you can strap shit to it. And she's like, 
well, you can strap stuff, stuff to yours. And I said, well, ours is smaller. It's a little bit narrower. And sometimes it can be harder to strap things to it. But for the most part, most people don't want to carry that big frame unless you're in Alaska. Yeah. And if you're in Alaska, and, and I can sell you on why a Kafara would work, but I can sell you on why a Bob, Barney yeah. Bob's would work. Yeah. You have a wider frame with more rigid connection points for running 550 cord around yes. it or, or whatever. And if I said that wasn't true, I'd be full of shit. Yeah. So I'm like, no, there's a very reasonable explanation of why somebody would run a, a, a Barney's on a moose or a a brown bear hunt. And that's um, exactly why those were implemented. And and they're implemented for two reasons. And one of those reasons, the hunts that we were doing were brutal wilderness hunts. I, not only was I going to have to move a moose, I was going to have to move a moose miles and miles and miles to an airstrip that was at 1,200 feet. And so I just wanted to have... Um, you know, a little bit more of a robust situation. The other thing that we don't talk about is we have a ton of camera gear. Yeah, it's a pain. So we're dealing with these big plastic, you know, we're dealing with things that don't, they're not very backpack friendly at, at times. And so, um, and that's, and and obviously a lot of that footage too was before I had ever even worn a Kafaru pack to begin with. But still, it's good conversation because I, I like people to hear this because if you take a, a sheep hunt, you know, probably guys are going to go with a little bit lighter, less robust, you know, more um, compact because of the, the terrain or the what you're going through. And especially in the lower 48, for the most part, you're not going to need, uh, no, you no, know, no, no, you know no, no, just no. for the type of hunts. And But I like people to have the full picture, whether it be boots or packs or shelters yeah. of these are your options. And, and I like for people to, to know like, hey, I, I you know, I've tried them all and I encourage you know, my my quote unquote bro staff when they call me and say, hey, this company wants to send me a pack to review. I'm like, yeah, go, of course, go ahead. I'm, I'm fine. And because if I, if I kept them from doing that, it's like I don't trust our gear enough mm -hmm. that they will pick it after mm -hmm. the, the end. And so mm -hmm. Patrick taught me that. You know, he was very – I was very fortunate that he had the same outlook on things that I did of – it is our job to design the best. If something else works that we don't offer, we have the option of designing that mm -hmm. or not messing with it and let those people – in any case of I'm never going to build a giant tubular frame pack, Bob's got that covered. Yeah. And Kevin, <laughs> you know, yeah, they yeah, can yeah, do yeah. it. So, yeah. Yeah. But, and, no, the same thing with the, the shelters. When I was on Tiburon, I had the choice of a super tarp and a, like a bug net bivy. Yeah. Um, or a, a Hilleberg and I, I like, ah, I'm not going to mess with it. I'll just take a, a Hilleberg and I did bring a tarp to try to get out of the sun. Didn't help that much. It was just too hot. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no reprieve there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, it just is what it is. Yeah. Did you end up getting a Ram? I did, man. I shot, um, it was really cool story. I ended up bumping into Luis Romero, who is the outfitter. He runs uh, Desert Hunts on, uh, and I met him last year at Sheep Show. And um, I could never afford to uh, hunt Tiburon. It's it's way out of my pay grade, or maybe I could afford to do it, but it wouldn't be very smart for me to hunt Tiburon. As it's it's a um, very limited area, very expensive sheep tag. It's very, and it's not that it's it's not that it's. Um, it's not that it's a trophy hunt for the elite, although that's what it sometimes comes across as. It's just that it's an extremely remote 
place in Mexico and it costs a lot of money to get there and it costs a lot of infrastructure to get onto the island and to hunt the island because there's no fresh water on the island. And so it's a very quote unquote expensive place to kind of pull off. But I ended up meeting Luis and um, he was greatly inspired by his, as a hunter, he was greatly inspired by his father and by his uncle. And his father had passed away and his uncle had just recently passed away. And um, he asked me if I'd be interested in coming to the island and hunting with his father's. Um, he asked me if I would come to the island and I thought he was had bumped his head or been in a recent car accident or um, I was just, I was like, are you sure you're asking me to come to Tiburon Island? He's like, I'd love to have you come. I'd love to have you film and tell a story. But he said on one condition, and I said, yeah, give it to me. And he goes, I don't want you to bow hunt. And I said, yeah, okay. I said, well, I think Tiburon's very archery friendly, but um, difficult, but very archery friendly. But I said, you know, what's your motivation? And, and then he told me about his dad's gun. Mm -hmm. uh, his dad has a, um, a Belgium-made Browning in 270 Winchester from the early to mid-1950s. His dad had traveled the world with his gun. Did that have the big thumb button safety on the back? No. Uh, yeah. Well, yes, it has a big, it has a big, um, it kind of almost looks like an hourglass type safety. Yep. And so, um, and he's like, I have this gun. It's beautifully stocked. It's, it's been preserved. My dad has, um, you know, shot many animals with it, been on many adventures with it. And he said, it's very important for me that you come and tell this story and that you come and hunt the island with my father's rifle. And I, I mean, I had goosebumps, you know me, Yeah. I'm, I'm, I am an emotional man. I am a very passionate man. And so I had goosebumps right out of the gate. And, and, uh, so we ended up going there and hunting with his dad's rifle and, um, what an absolutely spectacular place. And on the, we ended up hiking from one coast to the other. Um, it was, um, not the most difficult sheep hunt I've done. But it was definitely a very, very real sheep hunt, particularly carrying all of our water and all of our food. Um, and then I ended up killing a ram that is at least 12 years old. We're not sure if he's even more old. His horns were, his left horn is missing like a third of the horn from fighting. Um, I could basically pull his teeth out with my fingers. He was, even though he was a robust, very strong ram, I could tell where he was starting to atrophy, starting to break down, and he had isolated himself. Of course, that's what these old boys do, and and uh, we had a fantastic hunt, fantastic stock, and um, I've hunted all over the place. And I and I'll tell you this: the guys that are glassing and working on Tiburon, um, I had a guy named. There's a guy named uh, Poncho, is the head guy that I hunted with, and and Luis's partner Rafael. Uh, there's another guy named um, Eduardo, and then um, there's a third guy, but they're just kind of um, top gun expert. I mean, they find sheep. I, I, I'm I'm finding ewes and lambs and small rams. I'm finding them maybe maybe not as like if if I found a sheep, they probably already found it. Yeah. I think maybe once I saw a group of ewes that Poncho hadn't seen yet. But other than that, he showed me every sheep that I was then going to look at and how he found them. Remarkable. Yeah. And they have shitty optics. Um, yes. Yeah. In fact, I left him with my optics when I left. I gave him my spotting scope and glass. I think Eduardo I left all my clothing with. Is he the oh, bigger you, one? Yeah. Yeah. I left him all my clothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They were with us. Um, and it was funny because the guy we were with wanted a 190. 
and uh, Poncho <laughs> came up and wrote 180 in the dirt. Yeah. And he goes, grande, it's grande. And I'm like, he ain't shooting it. And I crossed out 180. And they were looking at me like, are you kidding? And I'm like, he won't shoot it. Yeah. He said he won't. And you could tell they were like, oh, Lord, this is going to suck. You know, yeah. like, and so we actually came out and did the same thing you did. We loaded up and backpacked in yeah. um, and ended up shooting a, like a 180 something still. Yeah. I mean, it was good Ram. I mean, um, that's, that's, that's a, gi- I don't chase numbers, but that's a giant. Well, and, and, and I don't eat, but you're kind of forced to when the guys, you know, and so yeah. I'm looking at, and Clay looked back at me. He's like, I can't believe we're passing the sheep up. And yeah. I was like, dude, that is a giant Ram. Yeah. And, and, uh, but the kind of the cool part of that, you know, it's very photo friendly, the island. Yes. I thought. Stunning. Um, you know, it's it's obviously everything's pokey and wants to make you bleed, but it uh, as far as like the um, the beauty of it is something you generally aren't going to ever see. I mean, I got some crazy photos. There was you know whale um, uh, skeletons on yeah. the beach. Yep, and you know tarantulas everywhere, everywhere. Um, coyotes because you can't hunt coyotes because yep. that's their spirit animal. Yep. Um, those little bastards are running all over. And so, which was cool, Aaron, not to interrupt you, but it's the first time in my life. And I appreciate it. I, I, I'm maybe one of the few hunters. I really appreciate coyotes. Yeah. And not that I wouldn't kill one, but I really appreciate them. But it was the first in my life I ever saw elderly coyotes. Oh, old, old, old. old. Like I'd see a coyote. I don't know how old he or she would be, but they'd be gaunt like an old farm dog. And they, they'd literally walk past me two, three feet from me. And they just, because they're not hunted. So they just, they just hang out. We ran out, you know, we were on the beach and they were picking up, I'm I'm guessing whatever sea stuff, you know, and you know, we're sitting there. I'm like, Jesus, that that thing's got military issue glasses. It's so old. (laughs) They all gaunted up hips. And you could see like when a dog gets out of his bed, you know, they lay there, they get up and they're like, Oh, stretching. And I'm like, that that joker is old, old and yeah. it is it is cool down there i don't um clay doesn't work as much on tiburon now he's on the baja but mm-hmm. he invites me every year to come down and help out i'm just super busy but it is a fun you know super fun hunt yeah. um and it's in a cool area and they, they've got big mule deer yeah. on that island as well like when we were there we saw a couple 140s okay. and they told me I, you know, for X amount you could shoot one, and I'm like getting out of the truck trying to get over, and 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 the one I think Eduardo's like, no, no, yeah, and I'm like, really, it's the biggest deer we've seen, and he's like grabbing me, and Clay's like, I guess that's not big. Well, shit, in the rut they shot like a two ten, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, where do these jokers hide? Yeah, because we weren't seeing them when we were glassing no. for sheep. No, no, no. But obviously, they're a cave system. Who knows? But they're in there. But yeah. we didn't see them as well. They so. said the same thing. We actually hunted deer for one day at the end. We saw a couple of does and ewes, mm-hmm. or does and fawns. Um, we never saw um, a buck, but he said basically like they have to wait for the 14, 15 days of the rut, yeah. and then they'll see these bucks will actually stand up and f- start following does, and they and they get on them, but they shoot. Giant deer. A giant deer. Yeah. 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 Actually, we were talking a little bit. You're wearing Fjall Raven top. Yeah. You, so, and I'm only bringing this because I work with them too. You're working with um, Hanvog now, correct? Big time. And B- big time. So uh, that was a boot. Um, I actually have these big, giant, goofy-ass Omegas on because they're warmer and I'm gonna, I'm trying to break them in more. Um, yeah. But that Hanvog Makara was what I wore. Okay. All year. And I don't know how many people I told to buy it. It's the most comfortable boot I've ever worn. And yeah. I'm not. I'm only bringing this up because I don't bring up those boots enough because they are like the most comfortable boot I've ever worn. It's the best boot I've ever worn, hands down. And that's not, I mean, I didn't even know you were 
using them until yeah. recently. And I was and, and Amy asked, she's like, and that's the boot you're wearing. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's, I wear it. I'm going to wear it up there unless I just freeze to death and I got to wear the Omegas. But, yeah. um, the Fjall Raven people constantly ask what pant I'm wearing and they're Fjall Ravens. And yes, they are owned. There's like a, it's Phoenix group. I think it is. Yeah. Yep. And they, they own like Primus or not own, but I guess own are in control of Primus and Hanbog and Fjall Raven and some other companies. Yep. Broughton. Broughton. Yep. And so like I run a Primus Omni light tie, which is um, a multi-fuel stove and I don't use it all the time. It's a, it's only applicable in certain situations, especially when you're flying. Yeah. Um, but th- it's kind of cool because they're only bringing this up because they are hunter friendly. Absolutely. That is hard to find with, and, and, and Fjall Raven has, um, a great stance in my, in my opinion on hunting. Patagonia has a good stance on hunting. I mean, they've made it a point, but they have a, a negative stance sort on some predators where, mm-hmm. you know, Fjall Raven has, um, I mean, they're hunters. I mean, I've, I've, I've talked to very high up people in, in the European side or the, mm-hmm. And uh, and they promote hunting. They don't have any issue with. They don't hide from it. And obviously, Hanvog as well as as Primus and Brunton are all hunter generated mm-hmm. companies. So I'm only bringing that up because you get so many different other uh, outdoor companies. Black Diamond is a great example. Mm-hmm. Super anti hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So I kind of give a shout out to those guys because it's hard to find anymore. And and the Fjall Raven pants. That's what I wore on on Tiburon. Yeah. And I wish I had. I'm terrible at knowing. I mean, if you ask me, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I get asked all yeah. the time. They say, they say, what, uh, what Kafaru pack is that you're wearing? I'm, I have no idea what it's called, yeah. but I'll have to look it up and say it's a, a, a Entero or or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. So, but I wore Fjall Raven pants on um, Tiburon, hands down the best. I'm not talking about wool, which I wear a lot when it's cold. Hands down, the best hunting pant I've ever worn in my life. Hands down, and everyone on Tiburon now they all wear Kuyu. Yeah. Now they're all they all wanna they all wanna switch over to wearing Fjall Raven pants. And I wore the Fjall Ravens for durability when I was yeah. there. Yeah. And they're the uh, they're the 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 cotton uh, treated on the front, and then they have stretchy like on the side yep. of the legs. Yep. Because there's so much shit ripping them apart. Yeah. And. From my limited experience in that type of terrain, nylon pants just get shredded. Shredded. And so I wore, and I knew rain wasn't an issue. So I I beat the, I mean, they are covered in blood and dirt, but I don't have any pulls, piles, yeah. and threads pulling. And that's why I wore them. And they're the, um, they're kind of like a, more of a tan light color yep. in the front. And I'm like, I don't know, it blends in enough. I don't give a shit, whatever. I, I don't, I'm not a huge believer in camo. Yeah, I um, wore blue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same pant that I wore because they're, they're, they're two colors, right? Blue yep. and so, yeah. Yeah. And that pant, because people ask me all the time, there is certain pants definitely from Fjall Raven that are a, I think the Keb is the one that you'd wear to work. It's equivalent to like a, um, a Carhartt double need pant. Yes. Uh, it's not stretchy. It's not flexible or whatever, yeah. but it's going to last forever. And then there's the pants that I have on today, which is the Abisco light. That's, I believe that may be the pant that I wore. I, I don't know. I, I had a variety of pants, but it was one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And those pants I hunt in and hike in all the time. And, and the, the, the problem with me, 
I don't have much of a butt, right? I've been taking no acetal <laughs> pills my whole life. And my wife is like, those pants make you look like you have a butt. So immediately by default, they're up a notch oh, compared yeah. to yeah. other. It doesn't yeah. look like I just shit my pants yeah. and they're sagging. They actually fit. Yeah. So no, I, I, I really like their stuff. And I, I talked to them a little bit at your show and I'm like, you guys, if you want me to wear more of your stuff, just tell me. I'm like, I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah, um, it's really good. No, it's it's really – they'll probably have his inventory. It sells out so fast yeah. that it's hard to get a hold of it. But what – um, I got to take a pee break, so I'm going to ask you a question and run and pee. What – you had, I think, an OmniLight, but what stoves were you running? Obviously, other than our wood stove, which ones were you running? Do you remember? Um, on on Tiburon? Uh, just, you know, kind of throughout, really, even when you weren't running a, a Primus, I mean, whatever, as far as different stoves, do you kind yeah. of switch from isobutane to a multi-fuel and, and what do you like about them or what do you suggest to yep. people? Yep. Um, my favorite um, that I've been using, like when I'm not flying, I'll use a, a MSR reactor is is um, by far my favorite. It's, it's um, I shouldn't say it's my favorite. It's, it's the one that I've used as of recently and it just fires up and boils water super super fast it's a light system i i can get big enough pans to um warm enough water because i'm 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 either alone when i'm hunting or when we're filming i'll have the crew and so warming up more water and being more efficient in that in that regard when we're eating freeze-dried and um so it's 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 just has the ability to heat up water that much quicker for the amount of um, canisters that you're using but when i am flying then i'll use um primus stoves and i'll use something that's going to be a multi-fuel so i can either get a hold of white gas or um, anything really and uh and so obviously flying canisters is uh is not applicable so um either the ms msr reactor stove when when i'm able to have canisters and i'm and i'm wanting to heat a lot of water fast for all the guys and and i've been using um have you ever used um i just had it for the first time heather's choice yeah yeah wicked yeah honestly i not a fan um oh, you're not a fan <laughs> no i will say in fairness they have have a whole bunch of new meals they sent for us to try sure their initial stuff i couldn't do it okay um, so this stuff is, is the things that i just got but i just felt um, not only did I think it tasted good, although my um, William Altman, of whom I don't know if you met him the other night or whatever, my our, my lead photographer, yeah. my director of photography, he can't stand coconut, cannot yeah. handle <laughs> shredded coconut, and and they make these packaroons, they make these cookies, they make all this stuff with shredded coconut, and so he was just having a little. Now all of those I do like. Yeah, it was the dinners that I didn't like as oh, much. Oh man. Um, I know, and I felt bad because we're doing a taster's choice kind of a uh, yeah. of all the different yeah. ones, and yeah. Frank called them and they came back and said Aaron Snyder's made it very clear he did not like our meals, but we have new ones we'd love for him to try. Sure, sure. And so well, obviously we're going to give him a whirl because she's awesome. Um, she is awesome. What she stands for is awesome. Everything else. I just didn't like the, the dinners. Yeah. Um, and so we, we're going to try out these new ones and see um, okay. you know what how, how they are compared to the originals. But the Packeroons, the problem is I eat them all. Right. Like, yeah. I, you know, they're up front in the list. Right. And I'm like, yeah. oh, great. I just, you know, I'm probably going to shit my pants now because I just ate 14 <laughs> pack of runes because they're so good. So those are very good. Yeah, super good. And I was eating um, a cocoa chili, cocoa buffalo chili, and then a salmon chowder or something like that. And um, man, I thought they were good. I thought they were good. And then the other thing that I noticed was, um, and this isn't uh, this isn't a uh, uh, pitch, but I felt much stronger. 
like I, I'm a guy that I eat very clean at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a guy that his not 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 via diet, but I'm just um, I do a lot of fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I started actually picking up on fasting when I'd be on hunts and I'd run out of food or I'd get stranded, and I just realized like. Man, it's not that hard to not eat for 24 hours or 48 hours. At past 48 hours is pretty miserable, but for the first day or two, it's it's not that bad. But so, um, but when I'd go on these trips, I'd eat the things that are easy to carry. Yeah, and it would just rip my digestion, start making me feel weak. I I ultra thirsty, and and I just couldn't find like I just wouldn't feel strong with Heather's choice. Um, which I just used for the first time. Like I felt like I was still at home eating very clean. Yeah. And and I will say you do get that with her meals, which is why I say, you know, what she stands for now. I mean, that the the diet nutrition side of I agree, like I can't eat Mountain House. In fact, we we had the guy on that I'm probably going to go on this goat hunt with. And I'm like, can I just mail you food? Yeah. Which I don't think he's ever asked had anybody ask that. Sure. And I'm like, I try to, I really try to stay away from, um, you know, a lot of processed sugar and carbs, inflammation and everything yes. else. And yeah. I, I know from a redneck perspective, it's like, just eat and be happy. And it's like, well, you know, I feel better than I ever have. I really don't want to screw that up. So if I can do a, a little bit of, um, you know, pre-work on my end and mail up the food, I will do that because I want to eat you know, one, I want to like what I eat and I want yeah. it to be good for me. Yeah. And so there's certain snacks or whatever that I like, like those packaroons, yeah. bobo bars is another yeah. one that I like. Yeah. And so I'll ship it ahead of time. And you go to most hunting camps, you're eating candy bars and shit. And yeah. I hate that. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll eat a Snickers, you know, every few weeks or yeah. whatever. But for the most part, I try to eat super clean and I'm a fat kid to begin with. So mm-hmm. I really have to watch my, my diet and, I, I like peanut butter, for example. So I'll <sighs> ship up Justin's peanut butter ahead of time because, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's been s- some trips where guys laughed where I, I just packed in like three jars of Justin's peanut butter. What's for Justin's my, peanut butter? Uh, it has heroin in it, I think. It's that addictive. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, uh, it's just a specific type of peanut butter, and they'll have vanilla Justin's peanut oh, butter yeah, and okay. maple. Okay, okay. I'm not shitting you, man. You can't st- – I'll eat the whole jar. But <laughs> okay. I, what I would do is um, – you know, that's was, you know, it's got good fats in it. And, yeah. and I would, yeah. I would just eat it out of the jar in the middle of the day. And guys are like, I can't believe you're packing that in. And it's like, well, I'm fit enough. So I don't mind carrying the weight. Yeah. And it makes me want to eat rather than thinking, and rather than eating be a chore because I don't want the food. Yeah. It's, and it obviously I don't have the, the negative. I mean, the digestive thing, not to start talking about poo, but the, what I hate is eating a mountain house and, knowing when you go to the bathroom, it's going to be like wiping a marker. Like it mm-hmm. just is never ending. Mm-mm. And that means your digestive system screwed up. Yeah. Like yeah, it's yeah. not right. Which and means so, you're not getting nutrition-based energy. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. And, yeah. and getting people to understand that, like, or I say understand it, to understand the importance of it is is can be difficult because you really need to be at a much better nutritional level when you're back there mm-hmm. than you are when you're here because mm-hmm. you have a bed and you have, you know, creature comforts. Mm-hmm. Back there when you're firing on all eight cylinders all the time, you need to feed that engine with good, clean fuel, not shitty fuel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. A hundred percent. And as far as like with peanut butter, yeah, carrying peanut butter in, sucks but you're eating it as you're going so that that weight is going away and then you just have to carry out a plastic container or whatever it is but yeah yeah that's that's um that's perfect it's funny that you bring up peanut butter because i have this little 
when I'm at home, I'm generally pretty good. I generally eat two meals a day. Yeah. I eat my first one at noon, one o'clock, call it. Um, I'll drink maybe tea or coffee in the morning with nothing in it, but I'll have my first meal and it's always a heap of deer meat or elk meat or bear meat and then a big salad and I, I eat a lot of broccoli and cauliflower, things like that. Yeah. Second meal will be the same thing at like six, seven, eight o'clock at night. But um, when I'm still hungry, and this is going to sound so stupid, but when I'm still hungry, sometimes I love peanut butter as well, Yeah. but I can't handle... Um, eating that dense of calories that late in the day or that dense of calories after I've already consumed two big meals. So I'll go to my cupboard. Yeah. I'll take the lid off or my fridge and I'll literally smell it. Yeah. For four or five times. And yeah. I'll just put the lid on, put it away, and then I'll go about my oh, business. Yeah. I, d- I definitely do not smell it. Well, this morning, my <laughs> breakfast, when I woke up, I have, this is from On It. They have like an almond, cashew, peanut butter mix. Yeah. And it's it's super creamy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I take a banana and jam it to the bottom. Yeah. And then eat it. And then I take the second half. And obviously, I, I you know, if you're watching this because I'm eating half a banana at a time, that's my breakfast. Yeah. And but the problem I have is with Justin's peanut butter. Yeah. I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and then the next morning I have peanut butter on my knuckles, and I eat the whole jar. <laughs> so we don't keep it at the house because. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a snacker. I'm not. I'm not a one meal, two meal, three meal guy. Yeah. I'm a fifteen small yeah. meal guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny they give me crap because I, I eat a lot. Like yeah, me too. And, and I eat constantly. And so, but they're smaller meals. And so, if it you look, you're like, how does this guy not weigh four hundred pounds? Yeah. But I'm eating fifteen two hundred calorie meals broken apart on an active day mm-hmm. rather than one giant mm-hmm. 3,000 calorie meal or whatever. And and you know, everybody's body is, is different Absolutely. as well. You know? Absolutely. And yeah. so I'm a, I'm a snacker. Like it was hard because Amy's a cook, my wife, and she likes to build this big dinner. And I finally, like recently, I was like, you, I need you to stop. I'm like, she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, Frank's kind of the same way. I love these meals, but I'm kind of a throw me a steak and a salad guy and I'll, you know, small steak salad. I'll eat that at four. I'll go to the gym. And then when I come back, I'll kind of have the same thing rather than this giant bloating meal at six o'clock at yeah. night. So yeah, yeah, yeah. this is, I, and the fasting thing, I agree too. Like, I mean, I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist, but man, you should fast to me at least once every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, of a 24-hour period mm-hmm. and pound water down just to clean the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if a doctor would recommend that, but it certainly has made me feel a lot better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. And, and I believe um, I've done a little bit of research on it, and it seems to um, it seems to have uh, really positive effects. And I feel, I mean, honestly, my brain is fired up. I feel like my body's fired up. And it's funny, I'm eating, I'm eating less meals now. I'm eating less calories now, but... Um, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting more fit. I'm able to push. You know, I'm I'm 44 now, but I I legitimately feel 18. Yeah, younger. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of a reboot for your system too. Yeah. You know, you're you're starting your digestive system over a little bit. Yeah. Which is is good. And the probiotic thing's another one. Like yep. I encourage everybody to take probiotics. It helps with leaky gut. Helps your digestive system. And these are the you know quote unquote supplements yeah. that people are constantly bugging me about. My supplement is much different than what people would consider a supplement. Mine's a krill oil, yep. um, you know, probiotic, turmeric, curcumin. I take a lot of stuff from on it, which is, you know, I, obviously I a well. mushroom based or, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, cause I, I, 
it 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 uh, it's something that would come from something I would eat anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you start talking about the other supplements, which I have taken at a high level, that would kill a donkey. <laughs> yes, you might get a little stronger, which hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yes, there's there's certain benefits from it, but it's not uh, a benefit that I think is a long term benefit. No. Whereas eating healthy and things like that is a longer term benefit. Yeah, when I I've, I've been hit up by some of these same supplement companies that you're referring to. And um, I just ask them, um, not to sound like a jerk, but I just ask, and I, and I would do this with anyone. I would do it with Kafaru if, if you did it. But I would just say, like, I would just like to see the science. Yeah. And I would like to see the work that you did to, like, I see your bottle. I yeah. see the label. I see a lot of people promoting this bottle with the label. I would just love to he- hear the science. Just tell me the science. Yeah. Tell me what's in it. You don't have to. You don't have to give me your secret lasagna recipe you don't have to give me the secret formula but just tell me what's in it why it's in it how you came to those conclusions and I'll, i would definitely consider taking it and i take it's funny you and i met here at four thirty this morning yeah at kafaru headquarters and um and i don't know when you took your supplements this morning um but i took 15 minutes before you did yeah it so literally like. <laughs> not, i didn't even know that you took those products but literally i took the exact same products this morning probably at the exact same time as you before we walk yeah. through the front door. Yeah. yeah. No, and I do it. Uh, I take them on, I mean, as much as I possibly can, I take them on backpack hunts as well. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And what I do is um, I'll either have the little baggies full of all the pills I take yep. and uh, little Ziplocs, or I'll have this, it's an ultra lightweight plastic pill container. So when I'm not backpack hunting, like going up to BC, I have all of it laid out every day and usually I down them, drink a bunch of water and drink a coffee because I need to wake my ass up and I I do like coffee. I literally do the same thing. Yeah. And it's worked for me great. And then I try and fast for depending on how hungry I am when I wake up, then I'll try not to eat till eight, nine, 10 o'clock. Yeah. Um, And it's worked well. And and the other thing too is the workout. I usually work out in the morning. Um, I try to eat if I work out super hard, I'll try to eat like the banana almond Mm -hmm. butter thing or whatever. But if I don't work out, I'm not really wanting to feed my body Mm -hmm. a ton of stuff until I truly am hungry. And then I eat. Eat, It seems like Americans, we eat, you know, to – we live to eat, not eat to live. Yeah. And so, you know, I eat when I'm hungry, not when I'm technically textbooks supposed to by the the American diet. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I don't know if you saw it the other night at the premiere, but Black Rifle yeah. just launched a, a backcountry coffee, and um, it's completely different than any other. You know, I know Starbucks has, I think it's Vias or whatever, or something like that. Um, do you know what that's called, the Starbucks one? Yeah, but you should yeah. ask Black Rifle who really pushed them to do that. That would be me. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. well, well, good. I'm happy that you did that because that I, I'm really excited to start using that stuff. And, and their stuff is pure coffee. I, I, I think they just, I think it just launched. I've been talking to Evan about it for a while and he I told, think it just came to market. Baker told me that you were, because I was the yeah. same way. I'm like, I yeah, don't yeah. want to keep using Starbucks. No, right? man. And uh, Baker had told me, um, I don't talk with Evan as much. I did yeah. a podcast with him, but Baker had told me like, dude, we're working on it. It's yeah. coming. It's coming. Yeah, so yeah. I'm glad, um, you know, and, and uh, the the coffee thing, I'm, you know, obviously in moderation, I've tried, I've like slowed way down on like a pre-workout because that's not good for your liver mm, and, no. and, and focused more on just slamming a coffee yep. in the morning and getting yep. rank cranked up. So. Yeah. I do the same thing. I do in a, I do uh, some shots of espresso on my way to the gym and I drive too far. 
I like this gym and I like kind of the, you know, the people that work out there. It's a no frills gym in Minneapolis. I kind of work out in a, I'm not going to call it a rough neighborhood, but you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to wander around there by yourself for for too long. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so when I'm just doing my drive, you know, I'll I'll listen to a book and drink coffee and then walk into the gym at 5 a.m. every day and yeah. Do the deal. Are you close to the border then in Wisconsin? I'm Minnesota? right on. There's yeah. a river that separates Minnesota and Wisconsin called the St. Croix. I live on the St. Croix River. Gotcha. No, I used to live in uh, Blaine Coon Rapids, North, oh. North Twin Cities. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yep, not too far from you if you're driving over. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Well, man, we've been on for an hour and a half here. Is there anything else you want to hit or cover before we hop off? No, I just appreciate it. And I appreciate you changing your schedule to come to the premiere. And I'm excited about this film. And, and um, you know, it's been three years since we've come out with a film and it's not, not going to happen again. I just, you know, I guess in, in, in that regard, I'm a little tiny bit like you where I don't, I don't really do what people want me to do. I do what feels right for me and what feels right for our company and what feels right for storytelling. And I, a lot of people are cranking work out just to fill the void and, and we will never ever do that. That being said, we are ramping up production and we have a lot of things that we have filmed. So there's going to be a lot of what I think is very interesting, very high level work coming out of Sigmanta. And, um, I'm excited to start doing a lot more of these film tours, and I feel, not comparing myself to him, but um, I feel a little Fred Bear-esque because I want to start touring the country with our films and theaters and kind of celebrating hunting in the wilderness and wildlife, and, and so I'm excited for, for what's coming out in the future. Yeah, no, I look forward to it, and and I certainly look forward to you giving the, the stick bow a try. I think that'll be something that truly will will change your life. Uh, yeah, you know, if you, and that's the thing, if you got time to do it, which sounds like you can kind of make some time, so yeah. that'll that'll be cool. Yeah, I'm gonna come out mid January, um, and hopefully you're around. But I'm gonna come out mid January in between ATA and shot. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna spend two full days with Tom, and then I'm gonna do another immersion clinic with him. I think in Texas in February. Yeah, something and like that. You, I pretty much guarantee by the end of February, you're going to have a real good handle on. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about any of your schedule, but the schedule you had talked about. Yeah, if you're like, you know what, I'm going to tackle some of that with this thing, yeah. or yeah, because yeah, you'll have a pretty good idea how you feel. Yeah, um, uh, I basing it off kind of where I was at, where I was like. I'm in a paper plate this first couple of weeks, you know, it can only go up from here. And yeah. and, it, and it did. And yeah. I think, you know, if you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to go back in my brain for the history of the Donnie Vincent hunting. How many animals did I get sub 40, sub 30 yards from? And all right, yeah, I can do it. And that's yeah. kind of how I broke it down was that yeah, there was a lot of animals I probably could have got closer. And, yeah. Um, and I, I think too, like I said, and if you don't hunt a lot of the animals, but you go on a couple with a with a traditional bow, even that'll make a hell of a film because um, it is a whole different filming. I, you're the you're the the master at this, but it is is I love watching the old Fred Bear yeah. films, right? Yeah, and to have a new kind of Fred Bear film would be pretty kick ass because I haven't found one yet. Yeah, you know. Now yeah. I will say, if you need some addiction. Grab South Cox's uh, stalkers in the backcountry videos. He handed it to me last night at the premiere. That will not help the addiction. And and, and the video quality on the first one kind of sucks. Um, just he's just getting going. Yeah. But man, what it lacks in video, like it doesn't have the the epic, you know, big red video quality. See, and I don't, I don't even care about that. Film it on your phone if you have to. The content will will tell the story. Dude, and that dude is a ninja. I mean, he's going to get you to where you're like. 
I can do it because you know Sal's a decent enough shot. He's getting better, but yeah. you know he's getting inside a feet on these deer yeah. and on film, and so yeah. that'll definitely get the fire burning watching Sal's videos. I actually encourage anybody listening go to uh, you know stalkerstickbow.com and buy that video if you're a, a, a bow hunter because it. Dude's a ninja. I mean, he's just flat out a sneaky little bastard. And, he, and so he's so cool. And he's funny. You know, he's yeah. super. How the hell? He's like, he missed like, why well, I was telling you like Donnie or like uh, I made fun of him a bunch about it. And then yeah. I missed a bunch. Like yeah, the hunting yeah. God came back to bite me in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. He came back with a smile on his face like, man, that was so close. And I'm thinking I would have been ready to snap my bow in half. <laughs> and he's like, we're going to hit it again. And I'm like, wow, way to stay positive, dude, yeah. Jesus. So yeah. South's a great spokesman for, for traditional archery. I'm, I'm happy to call him a friend. So definitely take a look at those. For sure. For sure. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank and, you. And look forward to getting you on again maybe um, you know later on in the year and see how the, the stick bow thing's going and everything else. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. All right. Take it easy.